Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we will be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use challenges, resources to assist individuals with a substance use challenge and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. We are bringing you another episode full of conversations with some of our organizational stakeholders. This month, we get to hear from Bobby Joe Reed of Healing House and Norma Yeager of Recovery Idaho. Stay tuned for stories from the field. And without further ado, let's get talking. Well, hi, listeners. Welcome back to another episode. I am here with Bobby Joe of Healing House. Bobby Joe, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and give a little introduction? Sure. Uh, my name's Bobby Joe Reed, and I'm the founder and director of an organization called Healing House, which is located in Kansas City. And I'm a person in long-term recovery. I just celebrated 27 years in September. And awesome. uh, so just very, very blessed and love what I get to do every day. That's awesome. Thanks, Bobby Joe. Do you want to talk a little bit about Healing House and get into what starting that looked like? Looked sure. Like? Absolutely. Um, so when I got in recovery, I went to a place called KCCC, um, a free detox downtown many years ago. That's been a long time ago, but that's where I went and got my start. And this is really what started the ministry is that uh, there were no hygiene products or anything down in the detox, and we were all sick and dirty, and it was awful. So five days I laid there detoxing with no hygiene products. <clears throat> and what I did at that point in my life to supplement my income is I um, baked things like banana nut bread, zucchini bread, fudge, cookies, and I would sell that in my outdoor flea market because I had Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of detox and then treatment, I started baking again and selling the things. And uh, at this uh, flea market, I could buy 10 little tubes of toothpaste for a dollar and 10 little bars of soap for a dollar, the hotel stuff. And so I yeah. started taking that back to the detox with uh, the leftover baked goods. And I started sharing uh, my experience with people that were there and trying to give hope to those that were just coming through the doors. And ultimately, that ended up saving my life because I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had been mm -hmm. a jack trades like many of us. And mm -hmm. uh, I started helping people at first. I did it because it made me feel good. But then I continued to do so because it just became the next right thing to do. And it, it filled every crevice that had been missing in my heart and my soul. So I have just continued to help people. In doing so, I was carrying the message to a lot of different places, detoxes, jails, uh, hospitals, anywhere I could get in. And what I figured out, there were 900 women going through inpatient treatment here in our city with less mm -hmm. than 30 beds. So 30 beds, 900 women. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's what's bad math. <laughs> right. And now there were resources for women that had children, but not single women. And so... Um, the Lord started putting on my heart, I needed to do something to help. So eventually at seven years of sobriety, I bought an old nursing home in the inner city. I had to, um, in historic Northeast area, I had to sell my home. I had just got done out of the suburbs to finance this house. 
And um, I got the first house and the women just started coming automatically because, like I said, I've been carrying the message for a long time and there were hardly no places for women. So the women started coming. We became full right away. And uh, to my, I thought I was going to have one recovery house and help about 10 to 12 women learn to live a life of sobriety. But two months after I got that first place, a dope dealer pimp <laughs> moved in right next door to the recovery house. So I, right. uh, I knew he had to go. So a year half later and a lot of prayer and a lot of chaos, um, we got the dope man's house. And so that became first house was already full. So that was perfect. So then uh, more women could keep coming. And it is kind of, you know, went from there. Uh, the mission was always for women in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I had women coming that were pregnant and I couldn't accommodate little babies in the rooms. So there was an apartment building a half a block away that was abandoned. So I was spying in the windows and the neighbor said, lady, what do you want? And I said, I need this apartment building. And so we were able uh, the equity in the, from the condition I got the homes in and I fixed them up, they were valued a lot more. So that gave me equity, which I was able to buy um, or to get a loan on the apartment building. And it was 14 one bedroom units. And so the women would come, they would get settled into their recovery, get a little foundation built. And then once they go to the hospital and have their baby, they could come home to a fully furnished apartment for them and their child to begin. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we're up to, so we're um, celebrating 20 years on November 12th. We're having our big gala out at the foundry at church of the resurrection. It's on our website. If anybody wants to check it out and, um, incredible 20 years but now we have 14 homes we have the uh, recovery community center one of the original of the four in the state um so we hold our recovery center holds up to 350 people we have yeah and so i have 50 staff members now and 46 are people that have came through our program and now work here so lots of peers so we totally Mm -hmm. understand what people are going through. You know, we all like to think we're unique and nobody knows what I'm going through. Well, we all know what you're going through. (laughs) So you can't get that off around here. But so we have the Recovery Community Center. Inside of that, we have uh, a a director of resources. We have an intake coordinator. We have a manager. We have an employment specialist. We have um, an helps with we help people get IDs, social security cards uh we help them get employment build resumes we have daily groups from 7 30 in the morning till 4 30 and then we mm-hmm. take a break a break and then we start again at 6 p.m um i mean just in- incredible uh we have an administrative building we have 30 apartments presently and um uh, Recently, we just got a strip mall uh, about a year and a half ago. I needed the apartments upstairs. This is honestly a great story. <clears throat> so I'm I'm here for it. Tell me. <laughs> so our our recovery community center has a smoking ba- patio off the back, and that smoking patio butts up to the back of the strip mall. 
And there's a tattoo shop, and all the people from the tattoo shop were out in back getting high. I mean, just you could get a contact high from the pot flowing over the fence, right? So I go over mm-hmm. to the tattoo man, the owner, and I said, could you please quit getting high back here? It's really triggering people. <clears throat> and he said, whatever, lady, move around. Not a very pleasant little fella. But anyway, so uh, not two weeks later, I get a call from this guy. I don't, it was New York or Chicago somewhere. And he said, I hear you're doing great things down in uh, historic Northeast. And I have a building down there and it's right by some of the properties you have. I'm wondering if you'd be interested in buying it. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. I really don't have money. And he said, well, I'll finance. And I'm like, oh, Okay, well, wow. you know, finance is like uh, ding, ding, ding to a not-for-profit. We're all over it. Right, so yeah. <laughs> I talked to my board, and there were four family apartments upstairs, which we needed desperately for our families that are being reunited. And um, so we were, my board said yes, and we were able to get the building. And so <clears throat> my first official act in doing so was I rewrote the lease for the tattoo shop. This is where I wish I would have had like a body cam, the police body cam or something. Because he should have seen his little face when I went over and informed him that I was his new landlord. And he looked very shocked. And of course, it said no legal drug use on or about the property or you will be evicted immediately. And um, of course, he paused and he's reading it and he's kind of looks perplexed. And I said, well, honey, if you don't want to sign it, you could just move around. <laughs> the same thing he said hey, move around. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's a touche here and there. So what we've done with that space is we have an outreach center that hosts AA meetings, NA, CA meetings, Spanish-speaking meetings, and resources to our community as well. Next to that, we have a full-service beauty salon and spa for people returning from incarceration, they get their cosmetology degree, and they can come in and have a booth with us and get sto- uh, get going and build up clientele. Next to that, we're, yeah, we're getting ready to put a coffee house and a um, cafe and a juicery. And then the tattoo shop's getting ready to leave. I'm claiming a free medical and dental clinic there is what I really want to be there. And then, yeah, we're doing some uh, thrift stores as well. So it's all about one of the things there's been, uh, people don't have good job histories, most of us. So this way they can receive training and, uh, you know, we'll help them at the cafe. They'll get their food handlers and safe serve and all that. So they'll be job ready after uh, being there as well. So every place is going to be something that will bring our community together, not just Healing House, but our whole community. And I got to say, when we got to this community, uh, not three hours would pass without hearing gunshots. It was mm-hmm. a war down here. And now it's, you see moms walking up and down the street with their babies, families, people with pets. It's This neighborhood has totally changed and just been restored and so all the businesses we're putting in goes towards like the restoration of our community and neighbors getting to know neighbors and um, so it's night and day I used to the property values have uh, golly I just had my annual report my 20-year annual 20-year uh, report 
of what uh-huh. we've accomplished. And I just gave it to my assistant. So it's uh, the property values have skyrocketed around here. Some houses you used to get for thirty-five or fifty thousand dollars. The cheapest house is one hundred and sixty thousand now. So that goes to show you, and here's the deal. Usually when you're trying to do housing in a community, people want to say, not in my backyard, right? Mm-hmm. And we have became respected by our whole community and our neighborhood. We're the nicest house on the block. We plant flowers. We help our neighbors. We make sure it's safe. We watch out for one another. Um, we have about 217 adults with children that live here on a daily basis. And uh, we've helped our 20-year, our we've helped over 10,000 people. We run a little over a 70% success rate, which is unheard of. And um, I believe that's due to we operate as a family. Everybody calls mm-hmm. me mom. And we have family game night. We have holidays together. We, I mean, we hang out together. We eat dinner together every night. We have something going on every day, every evening. Um, You know, we've really punched up our programming. We're a social model. But in the last year, we've opened up outpatient treatment. And the reason we did that is for convenience for the people that we serve. You know, I had... People waking up at four in the morning, hopping on a bus, going to work all day, hopping on a bus, going out south to outpatient, hopping on a bus, getting home at nine or 10 o'clock at night. And now they can go to work, ride the bus home, eat dinner with the family, and then the outpatient is right there. Um, So, yeah. And, you know, I recall when I was coming out of my addiction, I didn't know what I like to eat. What what is a (laughs) hobby? Bobby was trying to get high and drunk all the time. Sure. So, yeah. so we we have our therapy, we have budgeting classes, we have poetry, we have improv classes. Um, so it's an array of it's not just you sit there all day during program of treatment, you know, mm-hmm. addiction, addiction, addiction. It's about what are you know, I've always said, I believe Northeast. Old Northeast down here is the heart of the city, honestly, because mm. we have been welcomed with open arms and loved by this community. And so the treatment component, of course, is learning the knowledge of about your addiction, right? Mm-hmm. But now what the recovery support services, I'm the chair of the Kansas City Recovery Coalition, which is a great organization to be part of. We have about 45 local agencies working together towards a common good of the people we serve. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so uh, we have just all worked diligently to make this happen, but we've able to add. So we're the social model, but we've been able to add a lot more programming. So we do six-week parenting classes. We have trauma, uh, healing from trauma. We have healing from sexual assault. Anything that you could, I mean, we have, it's incredible. So if anybody needs help, our recovery community center is at 112-114 Elmwood. And you walk in and we'll just take it from there. We'll help you. Most of our people come in with 
clothing, no ID, no social security card. And we just start building from there. And we don't tell people go here and do this and go there and do this. We walk right along their side till they can stand on their own. And that's what's so unique about what, what we do is that, you know, it's overwhelming early in sobriety. So you need somebody Mm -hmm. to support you and walk. And of course, that's what the whole peer movement is about in the recovery support services. So we teach people how to live and how to survive in society. And a lot of us don't have those social skills or we don't know connections in the normal world. And Mm -hmm. so relationship building and resource building and, and self-esteem and, you know, um, 90 some percent of our, it's like 98% of our people that are eligible to get their children back, do get their children back. We have a family, uh, uh, a family reunification room at our RCC as well. So when people start getting those three hour, two hour visits, they have a safe place to do that at. And we mm-hmm. have a pregnant mom's home and a new mother's home as well. So 2020 and 2021, we had nine drug-free babies born. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And so I get to be mom to, I tell people I have this big dysfunctional family, but the cool thing about my family is we're, we all know we're broken and we're all trying to get better together. And uh, we just love on one another, support one another. Please believe I'll tie somebody's tail in a knot if they need it. If they're getting out of line, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I am the mama in all aspects. I'll tell I'll tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. And every house has a house mom or house dad, somebody that has came through a program and now wants to give back what they were given. Mm. I've covered a lot, but well, what question? Yeah, do you have? I'm mostly just sitting here thinking, wow, you guys are really doing it right. Because I think, you know, they, the field talks about, you know, addiction and substance use challenges, those it's isolating and, and, you know, recovery starts and lives out through the community and for you all to focus on building that community for folks, whatever. I mean, it sounds like you have a whole neighborhood of all the things any individual could ever need, right? Like yes. healthcare, jobs, <laughs> housing, like just being a human on this planet, basic needs are met, right? And right. then just right. that ne- next level of like psycho psychosocial needs of just being in relationship with people and being validated by people you love and respect. I mean, yes. that's it. That's the yes. thing. And it's very clear from your models and the work you all are doing that you get that. Yeah. I guess, you know, one of, one of the questions I'm, I'm thinking about is, so the PRCOE, we field TA requests and a lot of TA requests we get, or a lot of conversations I have with folks who um, are at conferences, like if we're exhibiting or some, or, you know, having workplace conversations, a lot of people ask me, I have this dream. I want, I want to do this. I want to give back. I want to do more for the, for recovery. How do I do that? So Bobby Joe, you standing like 20 years into building this incredible, I don't, I just feel like the word organization doesn't 
cover, cover. who you all are. <laughs> yeah, like that doesn't feel right. So 20 years beyond building this entire this family, what yeah. what advice would you give to folks who are just at that point of conceptualizing in their brain what they want to do or how to do it? I would say make sure you have a good foundation yourself is very important. Uh, because if you're not stable in your own recovery, you can't give away what you don't have. And so mm-hmm. stable in your own recovery. Um, and and once you are, then start looking. I mean, I was blessed to be able, uh, I came into an inheritance. So I started this whole thing with $50,000. And then I sold my home out in the suburbs to pay for the renovations of the first place. And then I have built off of that. Um, it takes a lot of time, a lot of patience. Here's one of the main things I, and not everybody does housing like we do or like I do. Uh, people always say, what's the most important thing about housing? And I will tell them in a heartbeat, remember that your life no longer belongs to you. Mm. Not everybody does that, but I'm in it 24 seven nonstop for 20 years. It's, I'm not married. I don't have biological children. This is what I I believe this is what I was created to do. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, tears, literally, because a lot of times I do sheetrock, I paint, uh, whatever I need to do, plunge toilets, nothing is beyond oh, yeah. me. I'll do whatever needs done. And so um, it takes a lot of dedication. This is not a moneymaker, nor will it ever be. In my eyes, we barely get by. But what you get paid are in matters of the heart and knowing that you're making a difference in someone's life. And you can just see, I think the most rewarding thing, yes, of course, seeing families restored and uh, children restored. But people come in and there's no light behind their eyes and they're hopeless they're broken. And I used to be that person, right? Mm-hmm. And see them a couple of days later. Now they're getting cleaned up. We we gave them some, they shopped for some clothes. They got new clothes on. You see a little light starting and a little sparkle. And then before you know it, next week, they're smiling and kind of laughing here and there. They almost feel guilty about laughing, you know? And then it just all of a sudden they're glowing and they have hope. Hope is restored and they have self-respect and value and see that uh, they're worth something and that there is a plan for their life or they wouldn't be here. And so for anybody wanting to do it, um, it's probably harder now than what it's ever been for us. We provide mm-hmm. meals for 150 people a day with inflation you know, we transport people, gas prices, food prices. It's it's really difficult and we're mm-hmm. bigger now. So it takes more employees. But I would say commitment, dedication, your time. And you'll have to find some kind of, you don't, people, they you might be able to get like a small business loan or something like that. But grants come down the road. There are grants, but a lot of times they come down the road. People don't want to give you grant money if you're not established a little bit. But, uh, you know, even if you can get an organization that will back you to or if you can go to some of these um, houses they give away in the city and find something. But you have to be prepared with some backing to be able to fix that house up. Every place that really every place that we have ever gotten, most people thought should be bulldozed down. 
and now they're beautiful homes, beautiful mm-hmm. apartments. So a lot of sweat equity. You get volunteers where you can. Um, you know, at first, people from my AA group came and helped out painting and doing different things. And then I had to hire some people on and just have kind of went from there. But a lot of dedication. And um, some housing people do it different than I do. They're from a distance, but I'm I'm all in it to win it. And I think when that's the thing, I can't hardly pay as much as a, bu- a bunch of the other organizations, even in this town. But the people that have came through our program are so passionate about what has happened to their life that they don't really, yes, we all care about the pay, but they overlook that to be able to give back here what was freely given to them. And they just want to help people and they're passionate because they see the passion from all the other people here. So yeah. it's just, it's just contagious. I love that. Thank you yes. for sharing. Absolutely. I love well, I know we're life. getting to the end of our... <laughs> I said, it. It shows. Dream this. I just am on fire every day. It's not a job. It's my life. And I, I love it. And just to see, you know, I'm doing, we're having a costume contest this weekend. And fun. oh, I got to tell you a couple of things. Okay. So yes, there's a movie about my life, a documentary, and it's free on Tubi. It's called Bobby Joe Under the Influence. If you want to watch it, and there's a free link floating floating around somewhere, but I know it's free on Tubi. I do suggest have Kleenex because my life was very brutal before I got to recovery. But it goes to show you, no matter how far down the scale you are, we can recover and we do. <clears throat> and then the um, our 20-year gala is November 12th, and you can find out the info about that. And let's see, we're having an open house November 19th. And that is very cool. So if you've never came to Healing House or seen what we're doing, we'll be giving tours that day, food. We'll have an angel tree where you can adopt an angel here in the ministry. And that's at 112 Elmwood. All this information should be on our website at healinghousekc.org. Perfect. And I'll put that link in the description of the episode as well. Great. Thank you. Yes. So come join us. We'd love to see you. Thank you so much for your time today, Bobby Joe. Is there anything else you'd like to say before I wrap it up? No, thank you so much for this. It's an honor to be um, to be acknowledged for the work that we do. And thank you for all that you do. Thank we you. Appreciate. Amen. <laughs> Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us again today. I'm here with Norma Yeager, one of our organizational stakeholders of the month, here to talk to us a little bit about Recovery Idaho. Norma, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's a, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. It's fun to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So, Norma, do you want to go ahead and share a little bit about yourself and your organization? Sure. So um, at the time of my retirement, uh, I was working for the Idaho Supreme Court and coordinating our treatment courts throughout Idaho. And in anticipation of retirement and wanting to kind of keep some activities going, um, I volunteered to take on being the executive director of an organization um, called Recovery Idaho. And uh, Recovery Idaho 
is a statewide recovery community organization that was originally established in 2015. I joined in late 2016. And um, the idea was to provide a statewide coordination uh, organization that could encourage, support, advocate for a growing network of local recovery community centers. So by the time, by 2018, that network numbered nine local recovery community centers located in all of the major population centers in the state. Um, you know, Idaho is a large kind of spread out state. It's the uh, 14th largest in the United States, and um, it's 479 miles from the northern Canadian border to the to the southern border, and 305 miles from west to east. So, Norma, do you have those numbers memorized? Well, I looked them up. <laughs> I looked them up, <laughs> um, and it's um, so the population is really spread out throughout the state, um, and there are actually two time zones within the state, just to give you kind of an idea, which creates some complications at times. Um, So uh, when Recovery Idaho started, one of our major projects at that time um, was when the first federal uh, opiate funds really came out, and so... um, Idaho uh, incorporated some recovery services and recovery-oriented services as a part of their plan. And I think actually that was a requirement um, that the feds had. And so Recovery Idaho um, kind of became the mechanism for uh, distributing funds, for collecting some data from the nine recovery community centers. Those centers at that time were providing kind of a core set of services. So recovery coaching, um, doing some outreach to um, jails and prisons for uh, reentry services, um, providing uh, sober uh, support groups and sober recreation and social activities, the kinds of things that, that centers do. Um, and so uh, Recovery Idaho kind of distributed the funds, collected the data, um, brought the centers together to talk about services they were providing, uh, uh, make some opportunities available for training, for best practices as those were beginning to develop. And um, so that really continued on until uh, 2020. And that was when the centers um, were then allowed to contract directly for their services and to somewhat tailor the services that they would provide uh, based on the needs in their community. So that was kind of how we got started and how we came to um, sort of a statewide coordination and uh, cheerleader effort for recovery community centers, which were were really new at that time. Sure. I love, I love the, I love calling it a cheerleader. Like I love that, not because it, I mean, that's advocacy at its best, right? Well, and, so, and because centers were, were relatively new, such organizations, for example, uh, drug courts 
and treatment courts in general, learning uh, what kind of resources the centers could be for their participants. Um, working with treatment agencies to view the centers as partners rather than competitors. Um, mm. So, yeah, so that cheerleading and advocacy. And then, of course, you know, working with our legislature um, to understand that um, while centers could obtain support from local communities, there was still a need for some ongoing funding to kind of stabilize the structure or, as we said, uh, to keep the lights on. <laughs> so working yeah. with our, our legislator and our governor's office, who's been very supportive of the centers, um, has really been one of our sort of focus areas for a long time. You know, I, I know you spend a lot of time teeing up uh, the geography of Idaho and just how sparsely the population spread out. And I'm, I feel like this always comes up in my conversations with folks who live in more rural areas or in areas where their populations are spread out. What has been, I mean, cause that's a challenge, right? All, you know, all the work of recovery and peer support, it's all based on making those connections. And so when you're spread out, that makes it really hard. Um, and yeah. it's a, it's a common barrier for folks. Yeah. What would you, what would you speak to that a little bit more? How have you, how, have, how has Recovery Idaho met those challenges? Well, you know, in, in one way, uh, COVID really brought some gifts along with it. And mm -hmm. one of those gifts, just like we're doing right now, was learning to communicate with, um, with Zoom. You know, we became mm -hmm. big Zoom consumers and, and um, providers. And so learning to bring people together that way, um, the uh, organizations created the Idaho Association of Recovery Community Organizations. And in fact, this uh, next weekend, we're having a strategic planning uh, event with the association members. Um, one of the things that we did in uh, 2018 and 19 was receive funding um, from our state's tobacco settlement funding. So our tobacco settlement dollars went into an in, kind of an endowment fund. And mm -hmm. that fund, we uh, are able to draw from that uh, on, on its earnings. So we received funding for centers to make an effort at establishing and reaching out to nearby but much less populated areas, uh, communities. And the centers really did create a number of satellite locations during that time. The other major work that we did, uh, I would say from 2017 up until really just this last um, summer was the development and provision of recovery coach training. And so there was initially a grant that was established to allow for the development of a recovery coach curriculum and to develop kind of a training system. And so over that next period of about five years, um, we trained over 400 recovery coaches across the state. Wow. And um, that has now uh, 
evolved into something called the Idaho Recovery Coach Academy, which will be a much more comprehensive workforce development and support system for recovery coaches. So that's a really kind of exciting development. And uh, we were were pleased to partner with the development of that program and, um, you know, turn it over, if you will, uh, rehome it with a somewhat more... um, larger, more sophisticated back office set of programming. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's going to do, you know, some wonderful things in terms of providing more supervision opportunities, more continuing education um, and ongoing support for recovery coaches as they enter and participate in this um, workforce. So, you know, that's been a a big part of our, um, our work. What that has led to um, is that it's kind of allowed us to step back to what we thought our original mission was, which was being a voice for recovery, um, Mm -hmm. making the reality of recovery something that is generally understood and aware, um, you know, advocacy efforts, addressing stigma, um, And one of the other things that's important about Recovery Idaho is that um, despite a lot of advice that we were given early on, we always uh, organized and and portrayed ourselves and offered things across um, addiction, recovery from addiction, mental illness, and trauma. And, Mm. you know, we've always believed that it's not where we came from that defines what's important, but where we're going, we're going to recovery, what our recovery uh, lifestyle and our recovery pathway pathways are. That's what unites us, not, you know, what it is that we're recovering from. So um, we've done a a variety of things around, uh, I guess you would say co-occurring disorders, but certainly around all elements of recovery as a more comprehensive um, concept and term. So Mm -hmm. that's been a a big piece of our ongoing development. Uh, A couple, well, let's see, about four of our recovery community centers are directly involved with um, the Idaho's um, mental health crisis system and mental health crisis Mm -hmm. centers. What that has allowed us to do really is to offer a continuum from immediate crisis intervention all the way through recovery. And so crisis intervention in our state can be up to 23 hours and 59 (laughs) minutes. Recovery can be for a lifetime. And having them co-located in a number of cases, um, being able to provide a continuum uh, to engage Mm -hmm. with people during that kind of crisis situation, and then Uh pull them into a recovery community afterwards. So going back to kind of our original, how we conceived of ourselves as really a voice, as a mechanism Mm -hmm. for addressing stigma and um, advocacy, now that we're sort of um, disconnected from some of our more... uh, administrative responsibilities, that's allowing us to really look at how can we effectively be that voice. So we were able to obtain a grant 
uh, to help us really spruce up our website, which I think is a constant mm-hmm. progress. Um, but oh, to, yeah. it's a use it as, <laughs> to use it as a mechanism to really reach across the state and sure. um, find yeah. ways of really giving voice um, to recovery and voice to the, the range of activities that can fall within recovery support. So we say our mission is to be the voice for recovery, connecting Idahoans to resources and community. And um, we're, we're really working now to kind of revision what does that mean? What does that look like um, for mm-hmm. our organization? Man, it sounds like you guys are are doing it really well and, and not only doing a lot of really cool things, but also just doing those things really well, which I, I think, you know, it's that quantity over quality versus quality conversation, but I don't know, yeah. hearing you talk about it, it sounds, sounds like you all have both. And that's, I mean, that's wonderful. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. You know, another uh, project of ours that I think many recovery community centers, if they're not already involved with, um, should really investigate. And that is that we are the sponsor for an AmeriCorps VISTA program. So we have up to 12 Mm -hmm. AmeriCorps VISTA members. These are individuals providing uh, a year or more, a year of national community service. Uh, It's a full-time position. It is designated for capacity building. So helping Mm -hmm. uh, an organization really develop its capacity to strengthen and broaden its reach and strengthen its operations. So um, among the VISTA projects we have, we have someone working in uh, a harm reduction program. We have someone whose kind of portfolio is really reaching out to uh, faith-based recovery type uh, services and organizations to make them uh, more of a recognized and, and visible part of the, the network of recovery support. Um, we have someone whose focus is veterans and service member families. Um, that brings me to one of our favorite projects, which is uh, a film called I Married the War. I Married mm-hmm. the War is a documentary uh, developed by some filmmakers here in Idaho that um, is the stories of 11 wives of combat veterans spanning all um, eras of combat, military combat, from World War II up through the, um, you know, Middle East conflicts, Afghanistan, Iraq, and so forth, and um, describing their lives with husbands who came home from the war with PTSD, with uh, traumatic brain injury, moral injury, all of those elements that have such profound impact on the family. And so we've been showing this film, connecting it generally with a resource fair about um, the resources that are available to caregivers and military families in communities. And um, so that's been kind of a part of our uh, veterans and military work. We also have another uh, project, which is... uh, writing. So we talk about many pathways. One of the pathways that we've uh, kind of staked out is 
writing and writing for recovery. So we have a writing for recovery online class, and we also have a women veterans uh, writing experience going on and bringing together individuals that just kind of want to learn more tools about telling Mm -hmm. their story or as we tell them, they can rewrite their story um, and giving them tools to do that with some really gifted and amazing um, writing teachers that have kind of signed on to the to the project. So that's really been um, a lot of fun. Um, other elements in our VISTA portfolio, we're working on uh, expanding and, and linking up uh, recovery housing opportunities mm. and resources in the state. Um, and our latest project is a collegiate recovery program that we're just in the very beginning stage of, of working on. And, you know, I was, um, I was expecting to be, have a lot of difficulty, you know, accessing and sort of penetrating the college um, environment. I have been tremendously surprised at how welcoming and how um, receptive they have been to this. And uh, we recruited a young man who had just graduated from college and um, was moving into our area. And he's been doing some great things in really spearheading, bringing this um, idea of a collegiate recovery center or program or uh, resources um, to several of our colleges in the state. Wow. So... I have a few questions about the AmeriCorps VISTA program, just because it's, um, I'm familiar with AmeriCorps, but not, but not uh, the VISTA program specifically. Are you assigned folks and they're already like, they show up like, here's my job duties. Here's what I've been assigned to do. Or do you get to help kind of flush that out? Yeah, we we recruit them. We uh, work with whoever the partner agencies are that will be the host site or the, you know, the local site. Uh, Some of them are actually with us and doing statewide outreach activities, Uh, but they may be placed in a host site like the Idaho Harm Reduction Project or um, the Center for Hope and Recovery Resources. And um, that center and we work together to develop their uh, assignment description, what they're going to do. Um, That's submitted and approved by our regional office of the national community services, um, and then and then and then we you know recruit we recruit to find someone and often you know we find someone and with them and with their particular talents um, and interests we're able to kind of put that um, that assignment together and work on it you know the the Vista program was established uh, kind of as a companion to um, the Peace Corps. So many, many, and many more years ago. <laughs> so it's been around for a long time. And um, it's it's really a, a very useful program for an organization that needs some help with grant writing or with developing volunteer services or, uh, you know, doing community outreach or community needs assessments, those kind of capacity building Developing a management information system or a, mm. a social media presence—it's—it's um, it's a tremendous program, and there's no cost to the organization, and um, 
and it provides some really meaningful opportunities for the individuals that uh, sign up to uh, participate. For those listening, if they're interested, do they? Can you give them a little heads up about how to get connected with that program? You know, I think probably uh, the best way is to Google AmeriCorps Vista, and the website will come up. and And um, certainly, if someone wants to contact me, um, I'd be happy to talk to them. Um, but it's it's pretty easily accessed. Um, they have a pretty major kind of presence. One more initiative that I do want to mention is that yeah. uh, during uh, Recovery Month this year, we mm-hmm. began uh, an effort called uh, Recovery is Health, Health is Recovery. And mm-hmm. with our Addiction Technology Transfer Center, um, located the Northwest ATTC, um, helped helped us host it and recorded it and archived it. So we did um, eight lunch and learn programs of about an hour each and um, on a variety of health issues that are very cross-sectional with addiction and mental illness. So um, sexually transmitted infection, uh, hepatitis C, one of my my big um, sort of soapboxes is around helping people learn and understand that now hepatitis C can be cured. Um, years right. ago, many people I think still believe or still have the information that hepatitis C treatment is um, extremely difficult. Many, many people okay. that started it early on weren't able to complete. And, and it was only about 40% effective. Now there is actually one of the few things in medicine that you can call a cure. And there is a cure for hepatitis C. And it's basically like two pills a day. And in most places, Medicare, our Medicaid covers the cost. So it's it's such a game changer. Um, we talked oh, yeah. about, of course, HIV and AIDS. We talked about smoking cessation because ultimately smoking is what's going to kill our people. You know, uh, our, our recovering mm-hmm. people are going to die of smoking-related causes. Uh, We talked Mm -hmm. about harm reduction. We talked about overdose awareness and reversal. Um, So recovery is health. Health is recovery. We've also been partnering with um, a national organization called the Partnership to End Addiction with a web-based individual education um, application where you um, get information about... um, reducing the risks related to opiates and alternative pain management strategies. And so you uh, text this number and you immediately get a message back and you answer some questions and then you'll receive tailored um, educational information uh, over uh, a text messaging, sort of a 21st century solution (laughs) to a 21st century problem. (laughs) Right. That's fantastic. Everything we're doing, um, you know, we're, um, oh, one of the things I just had conversation today, which I also think is uh, a thing for other centers to look at. I think we're going to be able to partner with our local public library to do some series of show a film, have a, a light lunch, and a community conversation following that film. 
uh, our VISTA member that would be assigned to that would uh, also research and develop and pull together informational materials that can be placed in the library. They, they currently do a variety of um, behavioral health packets that people can check out. And I was told they absolutely fly off the shelves. So I think there's opportunities for um, doing a lot more around recovery with your local community library. And, um, you know, we, we're always looking for ways to normalize connections mm-hmm. with recovery um, and, you know, address stigma. And I can't think of a better place than the local library for that. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I know the COE, we've um, had some TA requests come in and not specifically for integrating peer services into libraries, but have worked with organizations that that's one of their initiatives. And yeah, because it's just such a good touch point for the community. Yep. Yep. Uh, You know, we're going to be continuing our sort of strategic planning, thinking about more ways that we can truly be a a voice for recovery. We're going to be continuing to advocate for stable um, base funding for recovery community centers um, so they can keep the lights on um, and um, continuing really to focus on that issue that recovery is health, health is recovery and um, ways of, of drawing together resources related to the health concerns Um, of people in recovery. Norma, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for all the work that you and Recovery Idaho do. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's been fun. Um, It's great. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.